Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Monday the 18th of December. I'm Bernard Hickey for The Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out to paying subscribers uh, Monday to Friday. It's all about the political economy in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I focus on housing affordability, climate change, and poverty reduction. So, the things I'm focused on today uh, are the announcement yesterday by the new Transport Minister, Simeon Brown, and Chris Bishop, the new Infrastructure Minister, plus the Mayors of the Wellington uh, Council, uh, um, Torifano and the Wellington Regional Council, Darren Pointer, an announcement that let's get Wellington moving is being disbanded. So um, the Let's Get Wellington Moving project was a collection of various public transport and urban redevelopment projects designed to create a light rail line from the CBD to Island Bay and to create um, a rail, t- rail tunnel through Mount Victoria uh, and to improve connections to the airport, uh, particularly public transport connections. It was very much a uh, public transport, buses, light rail, walking and cycling led plan. It had been bumbling around for a decade or so in various forms and um, was very dependent on funding from the central government. And so uh, there was um, a lot of uh, concern from both both the outgoing Labour government and the new national government that not much was being achieved. So what's happened is that, uh, as National promised, um, it, it is being disbanded completely, which means the government is not investing in these light rail or um, urban redevelopment projects that include the so-called Golden Mile project, which goes from... Uh, Lambton Quay right through to Courtney Place, essentially pedestrianising those roads, which are currently mostly dominated by buses. And uh, that is um, uh, now being pushed back into the uh, auspices of the Wellington Council. And the government, central government, is going to go ahead and fund a second tunnel through Mount Victoria. And this is mostly designed for cars, the so-called four lanes to the to the airport project. Uh, the background here is that the new transport minister is very pro uh, fixing roads and having better roads for people who drive cars and trucks. And to give you an, an idea of how keen he is on that, he sent a letter last week to uh, uh, NZTA, Waka Kotahi, and uh, said that uh, it needed to f- refocus its um, its activities and in particular some of its spending, particularly the um, the Climate Emergency Response Fund spending. Remember, that's the fund that's being used to pay for tax cuts. Uh, refocus that funding on roads and to stop um, a particular group of spending projects uh, being funded by that city, by that uh, Climate Emergency Response Fund. And uh, that, that in future, um, uh, local authorities and NZTA um, should uh, try to um, not commit, quote, not commit any future funding to local authorities uh, beyond existing contractual obligations to develop these programs. Now, what they're talking about here is the 
vehicle kilometres travelled programs are set up um, using funding from the Climate Emergency Response Fund. Now, the background here, of course, is that uh, New Zealand needs to dramatically reduce its emissions from transport, and the fastest, best way to do that is to move people out of cars and into buses, trains, cycling, and walking. And uh, the overall emissions reduction plan is very reliant on moving people out of cars. And uh, to give you an idea, uh, it's it's it was planned that there would be a significant reduction in vehicle kilometres travelled uh, by 2035, a 20% reduction under the emissions reduction plan to achieve anything like the emissions reductions needed under the Paris Agreement. And um, this was all designed to help us achieve our Paris Agreements. Remember, if we don't, then um, we're up for a bill of upwards of $24 billion dollars although it's not priced into our uh, contingent liabilities. Um, uh, so these vehicle kilometre reduction targets, which effectively uh, um, Simeon Brown, the Transport Minister, has, has said that he's not addressing uh, with spending, um, that is, uh, was planned to reduce by 20% because of these um, VKT, vehicle kilometre travel targets. So, what happens now? Well, um, by not funding these projects, that will uh, reduce the amount of emissions that were going to come from cars being shifted to walking and cycling. And it sends a message through to Waka Kotahi NZTA and all the councils that this is a pro-car government, not a pro-cycling, walking or buses government. Uh, that creates um, some fiscal risks for the government, uh, not to mention really goes against the grain of all of the um, uh, planning, thinking uh, and logic of emissions reduction from all around the world for decades and um, really raises the question, so how is the government going to reduce emissions without these various VKT uh, projects? Now, this is all about, you know, changing... Uh, car lanes to cycle lanes to bus lanes to spending money on busways those sorts of things uh, so uh, that's the big sort of news that's come out and i've put links to the various articles in there uh, from the weekend um, the other thing that caught my interest was a letter that darren pointer the wellington uh, um, regional council chair sent to the mayors of, of Wellington and reported on in Saturday's Dominion or Post as it's called uh, it was a letter saying essentially reading the Riot Act to the mayors over their use of water. Now remember uh, Wellington's got a massive water problem even though there's been a lot of rain this year it faces water shortages because it has so many leaks through its network which has been poorly maintained and hasn't been invested in uh, for decades and needs tens of billions of dollars investment to bring it up to scratch, not only to repair the leaks and deal with population growth, but also to improve water quality. And one of the big problems here, uh, which Three Waters was trying to address, is that uh, councils, um, most of the councils, not all of them, but most of the councils, are still uh, running systems that don't have water meters and essentially don't apply any sort of demand management discipline, i.e. 
if you know you're going to have to pay for every litre that uh, you consume, um, you get quite interested in fixing the leaks. And it's it's clear from where this where meters have been uh, included that um, private individuals, um, businesses, uh, uh, and NGOs will do things to stop water leaks and to stop water usage when they have to pay. And so the Wellington Regional Council basically told all the mayors of the councils to get on with um, bringing in water meters. Now, this is very politically uh, sensitive because a lot of people say, ah, water meters, we're going to be charged extra by this council. If we stop the water meters, we'll stop the charges. But of course, that also stops the solving the problem of um, water networks that are overstretched, underinvested, uh, under-maintained and crumbling. And this is most acute in Wellington, of course. So you wrote them a letter saying, hey, you didn't fulfill your promises at a big water summit about doing things like bringing in water meters and reducing your usage. So I'm going to start setting hard limits and uh, uh, look to charge you if you go over those limits. So the pressure is really on in the water sector up and down the country. Um, when you have one and a half to two percent population growth for 20 year to 30 years that isn't planned and you actually grew your population last year by two and a half percent which is what New Zealand did then the pressure on our water is enormous and it's important because water is at the heart of every piece of new development so you cannot have extra houses you cannot go ahead with new developments brownfields greenfields unless you've got the pipes sorted and that question of who pays for the pipes is a crucial one and one that Three Waters tried to address rightly or wrongly. Of course the government has um, is going through the process of repealing Three Waters this week actually and also repealing the Resource Management Act which of course you don't go anywhere with a new development unless you've got your consents uh, in line and you've gone through the processes and you know what they are. The um, repealing of the Resource Management Act under the previous government tried to create more certainty uh, and um, speed with consenting processes. Uh, however, that is being repealed this week under urgency. So um, those are the three sort of big local political economy stories around um, water development, uh, housing and the likes. Watch out this week for the mini budget coming on the 20th, so it's Wednesday. We should get that early Wednesday afternoon. And this is the... Um, set piece where Nicola Willis, the new finance minister, will decide, uh, uh, will we'll receive the latest budget forecasts and we'll get an idea on when the government wants to return to surplus. Perhaps some more ideas on which projects it's going to cancel, um, when its tax cuts might arrive and a better idea on just how fiscally neutral or otherwise these tax cuts might be. So we'll watch out for that. That's on Wednesday. A couple of other things on the international front, one of which is uh, local. We have Trade Minister Todd McClay off to India at the moment. The new Prime Minister, is uh, Christopher Luxon, has really pushed hard to get a new free trade, trade deal with India. The background here is that India uh, refuses to allow in dairy. And in the past, uh, New Zealand has said, well, if you're not going to include dairy, what's the point of any sort of free trade deal? Um, therefore, we'll just hand back. And that's been the story of the last five or six years. And there hasn't been any real negotiation because uh, India doesn't want to have dairy. Um, the thing that sort of prodded it all along, of course, is that Australia has done a free trade deal with India, and so has Britain. 
Now, the the reason that's of interest is that uh, um, the new government feels that we're being left behind, if you like, and that we just need to get hustling and get ourselves a deal. The issue here, of course, is that if we were to do a deal, um, India would have to agree to allow dairy in, and it won't. And so we don't have much to offer to get a deal for, with India. Now, there's, there is lots of... Uh, positives in doing any sort of uh, trade deal with anyone and that frees up some parts of trade. Uh, the issue here is that um, there's a whole bunch of meat exporters who'd like to get into India. And interestingly, today in an article in The Post, they have called for the government to essentially kick dairy out and say, well, just go ahead and do the deal without dairy. Uh, and that may well happen. The other thing that's of interest here is that uh, India wants much freer movement of people and workers uh, to New Zealand. And it's quite, it's not nearly as easy to get a visa to travel as a tourist from India to New Zealand. And obviously a lot of the work visas are, are, are quite strictly controlled and uh, there is a lot of bureaucracy involved, certainly much more than if you were uh, a tourist in Australia or the US or the UK. Uh, India obviously wants to see um, a lot more freedom of movement and there's the potential for um, more international education. Although, of course, India is the main vector for um, low-wage migration and migrant abuse. So this is a problem for the government because also last week they said that they wanted to tighten migration settings. So how do you tighten migration settings and offer up looser migration settings to India to get a free trade deal? Well, uh, we'll find out more about that, and I'll try and keep an eye on that. And just finally, on the international front, um, something that uh, cropped up uh, over the weekend that I think's worth knowing, uh, the uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen. Now, these are the Iranian-backed ones that control a whole bunch of Yemen, including along the Red Sea have been firing off drones and missiles at any ships that turn up in the Red Sea. Why is that important? Well, if you need to go through the Suez Canal, you are going to go around the, uh, um, through a relatively uh, small strait at the bottom of the Red Sea. And we're now seeing a bunch of big shipping lines say they won't go through the Red Sea. Now, that means they're also not going through the Suez Canal. It means they have to go right around the uh, um, the south of South Africa. That adds uh, extra time and money for global shipping. And remember, about 30% of the world's shipping trade goes through the Suez Canal. So a lot of exports from Europe uh, to uh, uh, Asia through Singapore into Japan and elsewhere, and of course, um, vice versa, back through from Asia uh, and obviously from New Zealand to Europe. And at the same time, we've got problems with the Panama Canal, where uh, about 20% of global shipping trade goes through there. And because of climate change, they're increasingly having droughts, and that lowers the lake levels and the canal levels going across the Panama Canal. So now it's quite difficult to get slots to go through, and you have to pay extra. The end result, of course, is this potentially raises risks for uh, global uh, trade and uh, puts more pressure on supply lines and of course more pressure on inflation. Another one of these um, butterflies flaps its wings and something happens a long way from uh, something else that you weren't expecting. Who would have thought that climate change, which you could argue is um, part of the background noise for the various conflicts in the Middle East, um, 
uh, not only um, causes wars and conflict, but is leading to the sorts of uh, problems that mean you can't take ships through these key uh, global globalised shipping channels, not just the Suez Canal, but the Panama Canal as well. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the Dawn Chorus for Monday the 18th of December. Many thanks to paying subscribers to the Kaka for allowing me the time to do this sort of work. Kaki te anō. <laughs>